During the French Revolution, Rousseau once famously said, when the people have nothing more to eat, they will eat the rich. Far more than the American people, the French respond to times of trouble and crisis with radicalism. The French Revolution was preceded by a flower war in which peasants rebelled against rising bread prices, believing there was a baker's conspiracy. So the proposition that I've been on the front lines of corporate price fixing is just to get that out of the way. You um, worked for a company that was fixing bread prices. A search for grain was at the center of the storming of the Bastille. The French Revolution, of course, is absolutely legendary for its initial Republican promise, brutal class conflict, and the Great Terror, in which an air of paranoia led the revolutionaries to begin killing each other off in droves. Francisco Goya's famous painting, Saturn Devouring His Son, is often thought of as a metaphor for the French Revolution. More revolutions followed in 1830, 1848, and the Paris Commune in 1871. Most of these moments in French history were reactions to widespread food shortages in a deeply unequal society. Red, the blood of angry men, black, the dark of ages past. In Delicatessen, a film by Marc Caro and Jean-Pierre Genet, two visionary French directors imagined what a post-apocalyptic France would look like. Although we don't know exactly what the cause is, a scene between the butcher, played by Jean-Claude Dreyfus, and a taxi driver talk about how the food just isn't growing anymore. Neither is his hair. A fair bet would be that the apocalypse was related to World War II, where you're looking at a variation on Vichy France. A thick smog covers the city, buildings are crumbling and dilapidated, and since food isn't growing, seeds become a form of currency. Throughout the movie, we get some hints about how bad things really are. The butcher, Clapé, makes a comment about how even the rats have been totally driven out. You'd think it would be a bad time to be a butcher, but one food supply very much still does exist. Human beings. The butcher lures young men to come live in his dilapidated apartment building, and the tenants help catch them, and then they feed on the meat. Marie Laure Doniac plays Julie, the butcher's daughter, who is one of the few characters who seems not to have been totally destroyed by desperation. The other character, who seems almost oblivious to how bad things really are, is Lewison, played by Dominique Pignon. Before whatever caused this, Lewison was a famous clown, but a chimpanzee partner. And this is where we see the influences in time period being satirized really show up. Delicatessence is a grotesque parody of French Golden Age cinema, especially the film Children of Paradise by Marcel Carnet. Paradise has been called by French critics the greatest film ever made. It was made under Vichy French conditions between 1943 and 1945. It is set in 1830s France after the July Revolution and tells the story of four men, one of which is a mime and their love stories. Dominique Pignon's Lewison is clearly inspired by that character.
The last thing I'd like to bring up is that a secret underground group, modeled after the French Resistance, runs through the sewers and drains in the world of Delicatessen. They try to rescue those who are going to be butchered. Both desperation and resistance are clear to the French story. And in this film, the absurdity that follows that story is central. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, let me say, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live show, send us a super chat. We are absolutely obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer it. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are available on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Jandrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, comic designer, and artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Conan Neutron, host of Britonic Reversal, and the frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Tony Neutron and the Secret Friends is done touring until December 30th, but you can find all their music at neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Christina Oaks. When she's not dog-sitting, you can find her streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash cosmopolitics. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at, at cosmopolitics. Throw her some subs on Twitch. Jared M. Skolnick, horror director and editor, directed several short films, including Girl in the Basement and the music of Eric Zahn. KT Baldessaro is an actress, director, and writer who wrote and co-directed and also starred in Girl in the Basement, along with appearing in quite a few horror movies. I, of course, am your long-suffering host, Forrest Miller. Without further ado, let's get started. So much suffering. So very much suffering. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what the suffering is this week? <laughs> I normally would make my the part of Christina Oaks will be played by a blank joke, but I don't have any props nearby, and I wasn't thinking about it. So, <laughs> uh, sorry. A for thought. There you go. But by that globe, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I the notable thing about that intro to me is that uh, who? So they thought that film, the French thought that film was the best one, huh? That was the best one. You guys ever seen that one? I, I have not. I saw I saw part of it. It's like a, it's three hours long. It's like a sure long, yeah. I didn't watch all of it, but a after I, until the end of the world, I'm not up for another long movie anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, Marcel like... Carnet is his favorite is his favorite director. The two of them, uh, Jean Pierre Genet and yeah. Marc Caro. So that's like that's like they take all of their inspiration from the, the vibes. The vibes 100 yeah. percent fit. I'm just saying, like as a film, it's like it's a great inspiration. But. Yeah. Yeah, you could distill it down, but especially a movie that old when you're talking about three hours, there's like a kind of like transference of like, that's actually going to be a six hour film for us now. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. it might, I think it's also the fact that it was made in Vichy, France. So they're literally making this movie under conditions where, uh, you know, Paris is occupied and everything. They should have that warning, though. It should be like, you know, it's just like uh, the, like the weather report where it'll be like 55 feels like 43. Right. Three hours feels like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> Criterion needs to get on that. Yeah, exactly. We, we know, we know that. Criterion Bernie, where are you? Like, where, why, why are you not 
pushing for this. <laughs> I feel like even if you watch that movie at home, it still ends with you now have to write a five-page paper about it. <laughs> no one's watching that for, for for fun. Yeah, that's a that's a very nope. good point. You will be we did, it is funny that the, la the last movie we did until the end of the world is you know four hours forty-seven minutes. But I freely said I was like. Y'all don't have to watch it if you don't want to. And Christina <laughs> didn't. Don't worry. She did not do the homework and the I assigned. So Any, I get anybody's, it. Anyone see Satan Tango? No. That, that is a very, um, very bleak Hungarian film by uh, Bella Tarr. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Which is uh, so, seven hours long. Seen yeah. Uh, I was talking about that with uh, Matthew Film Guy, friend of the show. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot even for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> great movie, but once is good. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like The Road. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. What if, what if that was seven hours long and uh, even less, oh my God, less I, encouraging? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, a, yeah, that's like, Road's like an hour and a half feels like seven. You know? So yeah. That, that's if, if we're doing like my, my bit for yeah. all these other movies. Criterion Birdie uh, Weather Channel. Yeah, a little <laughs> pop-up video. The American people are sick and tired of watching old movies and not knowing how long they feel like. <laughs> it's going to be like a wind chill, a Bernie film chill. Yeah, after. exactly. exactly. Yeah. Three, hours, three hours feels like six hours. All right, the American people are sick and tired of not knowing that going in. <laughs> We're talking about time dilation here. It's not interstellar. Come on. <laughs> At the same time, I was, you know, intending to watch this movie one night. And I was getting a little late. And I was like, yeah, maybe we'll just watch some TV instead. So instead of watching this 100-minute film, I watched a 30-minute show and then <laughs> two one-hour episodes of a series. Perfect. Yeah. That's <laughs> And so that's like, what that's the kind of thing I think of anytime like 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 people will always like my show's got its audience, but people always be oh podcast. I can never sit still and listen to something that long. It's like, didn't you watch Tiger King? <laughs> In like, one go? Come on. Yeah, like but it's also like whatever, it's got its audience. I don't need that. But I think it's worth noting all this like long film discourse that we're doing. Not a long film. And City of Lost Children, no. I feel like yep is longer but doesn't feel like a super long film either but it's been a long time uh, i just watched city of the lost children i think it's like 10 minutes shorter but but uh you're right it doesn't it really? feel long yeah. it doesn't yeah, feel it's, long it's, it's a tight yeah. movie uh you know even with 700 versions of uh dominique pignon in the film you know bring it back that's what i'm saying look at the batman did the batman need to be three hours arguably need only need to be an hour and a half frankly I do love a 90-minute film very, so very great. much. So Although uh, City of Lost Children was technically written before Delicatessen. They just couldn't get it made on that, you know, so they had to do this one first, which is it's just interesting. Which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Get, yeah. This is yeah. the one, like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to love this one, so we'll get all the money. We're going to start with this, this one. Is, yeah. This is the cheaper of the two. I mean, that's why like, it's kind of yeah. cute that, like, oh, my God, the directors are in the film, and, like, yeah. this is their friends. I'm like, that's No, that's no, that's real. what they had. That's real life. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, City of Lost Children destroyed their like partnership too because they just were pulling in opposite directions when they had like a, a multi film partnership that, um, oh, really? like that they really were able to like you know, uh, carve out like an aesthetic and visual, um, like cues separate from each other. And I guess mm -hmm. the the mm -hmm. they, they pulled so far apart during City of Lost Children that they weren't able to uh, recover that. Yeah, that's that, what that happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. 
um, that, say that's a question I wanted to pose to Jared. Like, do you notice the difference between these two directors on this film and where they start to oh. like? What do you think is Junot and what do you think is Corot? I'm Junet uh, and what's Corot? That's a good question. I think like Junet has more of the it, he. I think he does, he's the more more of the romantic type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, like he branched off. He did. Yeah. yeah. He did Amelie. He did. <laughs> Very we also did Alien Resurrection. So. Yeah, I think that was I think that was one of the breaking factors too because um, I, I know Carol didn't want to didn't want to go to America for that. But, well, it also feels I mean, like Carol was he. a big art department but, kind of guy where he had a lot of like he was yeah. drawing all of the the scenes from this particular film. Like he did a lot yeah. of storyboarding. And when you're working off of all of Geiger's work, did they really need Carol in that kind of situation? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Corot was more of the the world builder, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like like th- this in City of Lost Children, they were like very distinct, like very yeah. distinct places. Stuff like and, Amelie or everything after it's like it's not as like grounded in rules. It's just pure whimsy. It feels a lot more like Wes Anderson-y mm-hmm. when it starts to get away I, from yeah. But like pre Wes yeah. Anderson, like in a way that like Local Hero feels very Wes Anderson, but like happened like way before yeah. he was making films, like, like a French Terry Gilliam kind of, right? Yes, exactly. like Terry Gilliam oh, like, vibes. Think, yeah, yeah. I think whenever yeah. they brought uh, one of these movies to America, I can't remember City or Lost Children or, or Delicatessen, it actually said presented by Terry Gilliam. Really? And that's, that's not surprising because uh, I mean, in, in plenty of interviews, they have said you know Terry Gilliam is a huge influence on our work. I think even in and like this might be a can of worms to open up so early uh, in the sh- the conflict between uh, Genet and Del Toro for Shape of Water, he calls out that like, hey, I know that I have definitely been influenced deeply by Terry Gilliam, and a lot of the stuff that I've produced has his fingerprint in it. But I've always said that I've worked off of his stuff, and uh, Del Toro wasn't yeah. willing to give him credit for what happened in Shape of Water. Yeah, well, that's I mean, true. That's yeah. And there's been a million YouTube videos dissecting that controversy and like looking at the two uh, side by side and being like, yeah, this seems like this seems like it was inspired by this. But Guillermo del Toro is someone that like uh, I've seen give a lot of other people props. So it's kind of crazy. That mm-hmm. give him it's props. so weird yeah. for him to yeah. stand in that point and be like, no, when it really feels like this is a pretty similar fucking scene. Also, the use of the kissing underwater. Uh, there's a lot of other oh, things yeah. that are like very auteur to Genet that you see again in Shape of Water, and it's like, yeah, he's usually very open about his influences too. Like he'll he'll like publish lists of everything that went into that went into the blender that came out as this movie. So like, why? Like, so why did that happen? Did they like get in a fight or something? Yeah. Like, and I'm being serious when I say that. Like, yeah, I mean, like it feels like, like a fight. Right? Like, like yeah. Yeah, we're trying to pick up a woman, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Janae walked away with her, and and uh, Del Toro didn't. He's just been bitter ever since. So, you know, it could be as simple as that. But I think it's you know it's notable like the acknowledgement of influence here because with Delicatessen specifically, I remember when I saw because I saw this. I saw this before City of Lost Children. I may have seen this when it came out. I don't really remember. If not, it was shortly after. But I definitely saw this before City of Lost Children. I definitely was in like high school. So that tracks it to like 90, 1991 to 1995. Uh, but like I remember being like, oh, kind of Terry. It's, this is cool. It's kind of like Terry Gilliam, but like French. Like that was the first thing I thought of like big time. Yeah. So yeah. 
I, yeah. I saw them both uh, after college and before Alien Resurrection. So, Alien Resurrection is not my favorite film. He also didn't write that either. That no, was a, no. I mean, there's a lot of studio interference with that movie. So, like, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a lot of yeah shit that went went sideways like, on that. Josh Alien. Whedon too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's the one who wrote it, right? And like, yeah. So it's, it's one. It looks like one scene that he accuses him of stealing, and uh, you know. He called him out for it when when Shape of Water was up for the Oscar or whatever. Oh yeah, well yeah, but I I would say that if you if you look at I watched this movie knowing that they had had that argument the second time through, and I feel like there's way more scenes than just that one scene that feel like influenced that movie to yeah. a point where it's like just say so. I, I mean the the point where they're kissing under the water when the yeah, floor collapses. Well, it's just vibes too. I mean she's she yeah. looks very much like Amelie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. People get really hung up on stuff like stuff like that. But I do think it's amazing. Um, this is also uh, there. There's a through line between this and until the end of the world. Do does can anybody? I actually mentioned it the last episode, so maybe I'll yeah. It's, you, Jared, it's, I'll a, post, it you it's a postman guy that yeah. uh, was in both movies. Well, you just you, you gave it away, and I was gonna try to have fun with it. But yeah, Chick Ortega is the mailman <laughs> in this. Who plays the drummer until the end of the world, which is the movie we covered on Friday, which is, uh, yeah. I, I didn't actually realize that because he's kind of like a that guy. Like he just looks like a lumpy dude, you know? And you're like, all right, just like this yeah. dude. He, he was giving me such Tim Robinson vibes that oh, I yeah. wanted that to be like, if we film this movie again, get his ass in there because mm -hmm. I would love his uh, like attempt at a French absurd film. Like, mm, that'd be so good. <laughs> Who, like, who, who would be the American equivalent of Junet, though? I Michael guess Bay? Wes Anderson at this point. Del Toro, let's get him in here. Wes Anderson's too precious. There's something kind of, like I, I enjoy Wes Anderson, but he's he's too like upper middle class problems uh, precious. Like he, I don't think he has the dirt to him. Frankly, he, could he would never eat a person. He has too much money for that. <laughs> <laughs> he has army hammer for that. Thank you. Someone who like uh, leans into the stereotypes a little bit too, like to to a comical degree, like Janae does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, like which is a which is know. a way more French thing, I think, than it is a um an American thing, right? Like, like the French, I, I've noticed a lot have like these weird characters that are willing to like really accentuate the character actorness of uh these like relationships and stuff and i feel like that's kind of like the the girl obviously in this has like almost like coke bottle glasses it feels like like yeah it, it's almost cartoonish it feels like a triplets of belleville live action yeah characters, right uh, so, you, so, so, you, absurd. so you need an American. Say, like david robert mitchell but like he hasn't done i i can't quite tell with that guy because it like it follows he did under the silver lake under the silver lake cool get it yes absolutely yeah. but like yeah how do you tell? I don't know. I don't know if he's got the, the sauce for it. Somebody who's definitely weird and somebody who's definitely into black comedies. I mean, obviously, you go back yeah. to Terry Gilliam, but that feels like back crossing a strain. You know, like, I guess we could. We could I feel do like that. there's probably someone that we're not thinking of, but luckily, we don't have anybody to in the chat? Yeah, I was going to say, so if you've got ideas, let us know in the chat. <laughs> I've, got, I've got kind of an, uh, an idea. How about, uh, how about Michael Bay? Michael Bay's oh. delicatessen. <laughs> okay, so we just throwing shit out there. We're just throwing, yeah. <laughs> Woody <laughs> Allen. <laughs> wow. Okay. And All because right. I feel like he already did make an attempt. Did anybody see um, uh, it's uh, Fog and Shadow? No, is that no, a recent one? Actually, 
No, no one, no one has. It's, it's so not a Woody Allen film. Um, I was reading about it earlier today in as much as like, I have this big theory as to why I, this is such a black comedy and why this is so French. Uh, are you guys familiar with uh, Eugene Inesco, the playwright? Mm, no. He wrote um, uh, The Killer. Okay. It's very similar. It's about these people who find a serial killer in their society, and the everyman character has to stop the serial killer and approach him with logic and try and tell him, like, murder is bad. Uh, but he doesn't succeed in doing that, and the murderer stays a murderer. And the moral of the usually you can't logic your way out of a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you should repent and and try to be better. Um, Checkmate, Liv. I got you. No more. No more killing. Murders. (laughs) Is that people are innately the way that they are, and there's no chance for redemption. And this is like the same time we're doing uh, no exit. Hell is other people. Yeah. And I think that Junet thought that that was funny in the same sort of way that Chekhov thought that the Russian, like, oh, life is so sad, is funny. And this is a movie that's, like, trying to be satirical on top of that, which is what Woody right. Allen's film was trying to do, but in a, like, way that totally fell fucking flat. But he does this, like, kind of comical, kind of physical everyman I know he's way too old, but like bananas level, Woody Allen could have done delicatessen. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the same way, like that, yeah. the the Coen Brothers would have been a, a perfect fit for remaking this. But like the Coen Brothers of like Raising Arizona, you know, like yeah, yeah. On. yeah that is you know, so fucking good. Alex Breyes of uh, Garage Days, you know, not not. Uh, oh yeah, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but let's actually. Ta- on the face of it, let's talk about the actual movie because I I think this film, especially for '91, I mean, pretty pretty great entry in that early '90s like dark comedy canon, frankly. Like, because it is very funny, but it's very very dark. Yeah. So I I have this I have a clip of um this is they all got reunited I guess for this um oh nice honored cool. So this is a this is a comedians and cars uh, getting coffee style uh Parisian Parisian <laughs> film festival. Promo video. Getting <laughs> cafe at the croissant. What's the deal? <laughs> exactly. A lot of mustaches. Le choc, j'avais 17 ans, il était une fois dans l'Ouest. Le choc de ma vie, je n'ai pas pu parler pendant trois jours. Alors mes parents me disaient, qu'est-ce que tu es malade, je ne voulais pas comprendre. Le choc d'adolescent, mais vraiment, ça a été une révélation. Le cinéma pouvait ressembler à ça. Moi, je crois que c'était Ben Moore, avec Charlton Heston. Je me souviens toujours de, euh, du choc de la couleur. Les couleurs de l'eau en cinémascope, machin, c'était... Technicolor. Ah ouais, c'était quelque chose. Le grand film moi, qui m'a donné envie de faire du cinéma, c'est 2001. J'ai vu ça quand j'avais 12 ans. Je me suis pris. Euh... Ah oui, moi, 2001 aussi. Ouais. Ils ont monté des, un clip avec plein d'extraits de films de grands classiques, 
de Sergio Leone à John Ford à, à, à plein de gens. Quoi. Et il y avait deux petits moments de délicatesse. Moi, j'ai eu un petit frisson. Euh, D'être en Stanley Kubrick, euh, euh, Sergio Leone et tout ça. Et puis, il y a votre petit film au milieu. On est quand même super content, super euh, flatté. C'est tellement difficile de faire des films qui laissent une trace. Il y a tellement, tellement d'images que celui-là, il, il va en laisser une, c'est sûr. C'est des films un peu, on appelle ça aujourd'hui « timeless oui. ». C'est-à-dire, on ne sait pas à quelle époque ça se passe. Il y a un mélange. Pour euh, Delicatessen, c'était vraiment euh, Front Popu, euh, ouais. film d'avant-guerre. Enfin, C'est vraiment tout ce qu'on a aimé euh, comme cinéma, Carnet, Duvivier et puis euh, Douaneau. Et, et à chaque fois, moi, je me suis demandé, mais qui, qui c'était les couleurs qu'ils avaient, les fringues, les pulls je voulais, tu vois, dans le jour se lève, tu dis, mais Gabin, quelle couleur elle était son pull Et donc, on est un peu parti au niveau visuel sur ce, ce principe. Quoi. les goûts et les couleurs, heureusement qu'il y a cette diversité. Moi, la chose qui me rend le plus triste au niveau du cinéma actuel, c'est le manque de diversité. Tu vois, moi, j'adorerais revoir des films de KPDP, comme il y avait une époque, ou des choses comme ça. Je trouve ça... Moi, ça me manque, ce genre de, de cinéma. La queue, c'est pour nous Je pense que c'est pour nous. Où sont les bodyguards ouais. Il y a une époque, quand on faisait des masterclass, c'était ça, hein, la FNAC. Pour Alien et Amélie, il y avait folie some jaunty music <laughs> and uh by the way our apologies to those who listen on podcast and do not speak french because that was probably very confusing but they, yeah those dudes hanging together in a car and, and talking <laughs> about lots of stuff basically but it's really cool to see them reunited after like what 25 years or something like what? yeah and and to honor this film which was their yeah. first uh their first collaboration it feels weird seeing dominique pignon in like the real world and not not in the not in the genet because he looks like he was sculpted in a lab to right right like he's cgi yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like a muppet or something yeah. yeah they made like a muppet version of uh robin williams and, and uh made french <laughs> for some reason yeah, yeah. And they got, they got the, the recipe wrong and they just down to the teeth and everything like his uh thing that seems like he's always playing with dentures but also doesn't i mean maybe yeah. maybe he has dentures but very compelling <laughs> compelling look there was uh so i guess i guess to the earlier question in the chat we have uh, uh michelle gondry that's pretty good um kind of like the same era though didn't those guys like sort of like make movies around the same time anyway that's but but again guy who made being john malkovich right so that uh, makes sense to me uh spike jones kind of similar similar situation I don't know, being spike dominique pignon uh... oh no spike jones is the one that who made who's who is being john malkovich spike jones or gone yeah gondry did uh eternal sunshine eternal sunshine but that's not the one i'm thinking of i'm thinking of um Anyway, what it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it's got to be someone that can do weird. <laughs> That's the important <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, it, it's it's kind of interesting to see them in the car after all that time, and they're very inspired by. I mean, they talk about it all the time. Uh, Stanley Kubrick mm -hmm. and 2001, which kind of I, I feel like is nothing like this movie at all. So it's kind of funny that like that's their no, big, no, but like that that's their big like, but but like when they talk about what their big inspiration to get into filmmaking was, that's like the movie that gets brought up with. Well, so the, the classic, and I'm not pulling an Andy here. The classic 
uh, crazy expressionistic like Japanese horror movie Haosu, uh the big thing is that like he was inspired by Jaws and there's like it's nothing at, remotely like Jaws but it was yeah. more like the ideas of 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 uh, you know set, setting the imagination on fire towards like a certain thing which shows so isn't it say that like it's like the it doesn't have to be direct inspiration of the fact I want to uh, make a movie just like that or anything along those lines. Well, I mean, they couldn't, they didn't have like, you know, money or, uh, you know, the power to, or like they're, they're, they were really going on like a shoestring budget for this. And it's yeah. the first movie they've ever made. And they're just trying to, no, it works. It works yeah. so great. as like, they're basically just in this building. They're in this building. And like, you got to make the building crazy and weird. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it is There's so much atmosphere. <laughs> you have so much atmosphere, the colors, like, like, you know, everything's yeah. very yellow, but like at the same time, Whenever they use blues or reds, uh, you know, which which they had, did a couple of times in the film, uh, uh, they just knock you over the head. It, it's it's a, absolutely incredible. Um, and that's and, why you, you have, know, I mean, Caro sitting in the car talking about the visuals and actually like breaking down, like you know, I'm thinking about what sweater he's wearing in that moment, or like uh, you know what like what what the visuals are with their clothes, and like it's kind of fascinating to hear him talk about that. Yeah, it's it's so it's lit in the way that it feels almost drawn. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, KT. We'd we'd love to hear what you got to say, but and I'm and I'm I'm saying this year I'm mute. Sorry, I, I'm usually the ones always yelling at people to stop mentioning that on air. But <laughs> so please go ahead. What were we gonna say? What was the budget? Oh, good question. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see. IMDb has it as four million. Which I is- mean, it looks like it's all like a lot of it soundstage, right? So you know, yeah. I love like, asking uh, the question when people are like, "It's a shoestring budget. They only had seventy million." <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, I mean, that's yeah. not. I mean, you know, but like in film terms, that's not like a, a lot. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like Clerks was done on thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so a good it's point. Like, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I can do it for fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hook it up, people. No, but, but it's... What, uh, what's that, 20? Yes. <laughs> but I think- when I was on mute, I was going to say, like, of the people here who make art and, and make things, like, what was the thing that made you want to be that kind of artist? Because if you think about it, it's absurdly unrelated to the type of art that you make. Like, sure. I wanted to start acting the first time I saw um, My Fair Lady. And I hate musicals, but I was like, <laughs> "This Audrey Hepburn bitch is nailing it." Yeah, yeah <laughs> and it was like so magical. Oh, I thought you were gonna say you got inspired by being like, "I could do that better," <laughs> which is inspiration <laughs> in and of itself. Certainly, I'm the I fairer lady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's there you go. That's the sequel, My Fairer Lady. Fairest lady. <laughs> I still know what you did last, fair lady. <laughs> We'll get a fair uh, lady cage too. It'll be great. Uh, no, I, I, but I, I, for me, I actually originally thought I wanted to to do movies and even or astronaut. You you left off astronaut. Well, and as Sally a kid, Ride. Sally Ride wanted... was your big influence. We all know this. But his inability to understand how helmets worked kept him right. from that line of career. <laughs> True. True. It was it was flawless plan otherwise. But yeah, as a kid, all I wanted to be was an astronaut. But as as when I finally started maturing as, as a young man, like I actually studied cinematography and, and direction and whatnot. I even had like a public access show in my crap hole of a town in the Central Valley, California. But uh, yeah, music 
kind of took over my life pretty quickly. And that, that was, it was just, you know, I just took to it in a big way, but by the same token, when like people, when I would think of like musical influences, it wouldn't necessarily be bands. It would be like, Oh, let's make it, make it like unsettling, but kind of like hopeful, like a David Lynch movie or something, you know, like, and I, I would use like other kinds of things to, to bring in. Which, by yeah. the way, R.I.P. to his uh, composer that just did uh, Angelo uh, Balamente, man, yeah, the king, yeah. the king. Like, what a composer! Like up there oh, with Angelo, who made that and, really interesting music piece on the saw for us. I, yeah. Absolutely, and by the way, uh, Blue Velvet first collab with David Lynch uh, for the uh, the torch song that they put together, which we covered when we did Blue Velvet with Anna Kasparian. But did you know that was a late in life sort of like boon for him, a success? He was, I think it was like 49 or something when that happened. He was already like, like had been doing it for a long time to like, well, terribly say uh, interested parties, but like not at like a larger level. And then like that loose limb affiliation with Lynch, obviously that went into Twin Peaks, which was like whole another level. And, you know, they even started a band together called Thought Gang, which is actually pretty good. Like they, you know, as a year, decades long partnership, but like, he was already like in his late forties and had been kind of like doing it on this much smaller level for the longest time before that. So. And what year did the uh, Twin Peaks hit American airways in 91? I think it was 91. I think it was the same year this movie came out. So it's the same year that this movie came out. Yeah. So um... I was, yeah, I was thinking about like, this was probably the weirdest movie I'd ever seen in my life when I saw this movie for the first same, time. Same, because it was before I saw this before I saw like Brazil and stuff. So like I, I was like, mm. like probably the weirdest movie I'd ever seen before that was Time Bandits, which you know is, is <laughs> properly weird, but yeah. like you know, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but the number one box office film for '91 is Home Alone. <laughs> so i'm like yeah. watching home alone and then i'm watching this and it like blew my little brain apart i bet the characters sure. wish they were home alone they wouldn't all be eating each other imagine if Junaid did home alone <laughs> 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 or uh, Rube goldberg traps or, or who did was it was it zemeckis who, who did who did home alone um, uh, is that Columbus? Columbus. Is yeah. that a Columbus Day film? Chris Chris Columbus's <laughs> delicatessen would have been the joke. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is this is Janae talking about how he got started and his ideas. Uh, nice. Which which him and Caro, I guess, were like partners doing like ads and stuff like that, like even before they were doing cinema. Ah, oh, just like uh, Gondry. Actually, just like Spike Jones. Like, no, I think both of them actually didn't they both do ads? Whatever. We'll get a top fact checkers on that. You know, and it was the philosophy of all my life. I started with animation because it was easier with puppets like Tim Burton, but <laughs> and uh, little by little I made some short film with my partner Marka, live action short films. And uh, little by little the short films were seen by people from the video music. It was the beginning of the video music. They hired me to make a video music and little by little commercials and I met a producer. During this time we were writing feature with Mark Carroll. And when you first met Mark Carroll in, in 1974, I think, did you have, did you share an aesthetic? Did you like the same films? Of course, yeah. It was an in animation film festival in Nancy. And uh, immediately we wanted to, one day we will do something together, you know. So what were the kinds of films that you really admired then? Uh, <clears throat> in fact, it was Stanley Kubrick, American movies especially. Now I am a big fan about French movies, but from the 40s. My favorite director is Marcel Carnet with Jacques Prévert, the author, the, the, the poet. 
And uh, I am not a big fan about French cinema, except this cinema. Shots and fired! I Italian and American cinema. So you made short films that won awards. How long did it take for Delicatessen to get going? It was during the 80s. We were waiting 10 years. But during this time, I made commercials and video music. Not a lot, but it was enough to, to survive. And did you have to wait so long because the subject was dark? Yeah, Nobody yeah. would understand? It was too, too, too weird, too special. And uh, in France, we have a culture of um, intimate situation, intimate stories with couple fighting in the kitchen. You know what I mean? <laughs> <clears throat> and I think we opened the door at this time because luckily, Delicatessen was sold everywhere in the world in one week in Cannes Film Festival. Well, I think it's a, a good moment to see a little bit from Delicatessen now, oh, from yes. 1991. And it is, <clears throat> as you say, a weird mixture, post-apocalyptic of horror and comedy. So it's in a, there's a butcher's shop and it's uh, above in the butcher's shop and also below the butcher's shop. Yeah, sorry, uh, and the butcher's speciality, of course, is because meat is scarce after the apocalypse, he chops up and minces the lodgers. So enter the innocent Louison, a new lodger who's unaware of all of this, and he's working as a handyman, and he's called in to um, mend the bed springs <coughs> on a bed, a bed that has previously seen quite a lot of action. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> I don't know. I just liked her. I liked her explaining the plot of his movie to him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's and like, he, oh, and he, and he doesn't. And he doesn't give her anything the entire time. He's like, nope. oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but I love too that like well that scene too like that's that's like one of the first scenes of course with the the, the coordinated uh, um, <clears throat> bed maneuvers with like the painting and like the the cello and everybody like gets in sync with it because anyone who's ever lived in an apartment situation knows exactly like that those vibes right where it's like you can't ignore it you know what's happening and you know that like when you're up to it that they know that it's happening. So it's like, it's really hilarious. And they're all trapped inside. Like they're all trapped in that house. Like they have to be know. there. They can't mm -hmm. be, they can't be anywhere else. There's no escaping it. So to have it in that way. And that to me is the most Terry Gilliam of all of the, of all the scenes is where it just keeps going and escalating and more and more. And like he's painting, <laughs> painting, it's going faster and faster. <laughs> it's, but it's great. It's hilarious too. I mean, I remember I, I lost my mind when I saw that for the first time laughing and I, <laughs> Pretty much did this time too. Les stomp, les stomp the, yeah. uh, <laughs> les stomp the deli. <laughs> well, my uh, first year of college, we were sitting there in the lounge watching a movie, and somebody was having sex right above us. And um, <laughs> but, like uh, nobody knew what to do because apparently everybody was from the suburbs and, and grew up in houses. And, mm -hmm. and uh, they're like, well, "What should do we do? Something about it because we can hear them?" And we're just like, "Like no, just just ignore it." And like like they finish up, like, "What do we do now?" Clap. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, they're like, what? I don't know. Get out like your your those cards they do like when they like at the 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 gymnastics where they put up the number. Like, the, yeah, I don't know. So like, happy uh, you came. Yeah, what are you, what are you gonna what are you gonna do about it? Join in? Like, I mean, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> Thank you. Clap. 
but yeah, but I think that's a great. I mean, what do you what do you guys? I mean, I think that's a really effective scene. Like that's obviously on the more comedic end of this, and like less on, on the darker side of it. But like hilarious because yeah. that's so rarely acknowledged in film, and that's something that again come back to like my critiques of Wes Anderson, who I do like, but much like Sofia Coppola, comes very much from an upper middle class, like lower upper class, sort of like filming those worlds where you don't have those problems. And they wouldn't even know about those problems. Yeah. And they certainly I, don't depict them in their films. Yeah, I, I like how it's somehow both like extremely over the top, but also completely deadpan too. Like there, yeah. you have this like surrealist um, action going on, but everyone's just like stone faced going through their going through the day like whatever they're time. doing yeah yeah like uh, okay here we go <laughs> and that's where the that's where the i think like uh post-war era slash pre-war era kind of uh vibes and aesthetic really work well with it right because it's you're not like it's not like a modern day thing with people going through modern day problems it's like both the apocalypse and kind of has like an almost older uh you know an older aesthetic to it like the, the characters are all like their jobs are um either like peasant but like also just like postman like it's very simplistic in the, in the way that um, all of these characters are kind of just going about their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a futuristic apocalypse. It does feel like, like you said in, in I think, earlier, or maybe in the intro, that it feels like it's after the Second World War. And this is kind of like a deviant timeline where this happened for France. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. But then also could be like in some far, far flung future where like societies digressed in certain ways and certain, like, you know, interstellar that didn't get to leave Earth. Right. I mean, and it's almost yeah. irrelevant. Right. But but it, it, yeah. it very much has that, you know, the, the, there's that that type of decorum that comes that post post war decorum. Sort of timeless ones. quality to it. Yeah, yeah. I, th yeah. I think that that scene that we're talking about is so crucial to why this film feels so fucking French. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's 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 clowning. It's so rubber-faced men. It's like yeah. you know um, the heart of what you think of when you think of French physical comedy, and so it kind of connects you back with that. Uh, it's like yeah, I mean, well. In a in a stupid ass way, yeah, it is. I mean, to, the, know, to the stuff that made people in France love Jerry Lewis, really. To be <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And Jeanne winds up uh, getting a like uh, I can't remember the exact term for their French, like a, a, an honor from the country of France for helping ed like educate the world on French culture as a whole. That's how <laughs> right, French right. he is. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. even the guy that's in the uh, in the, the cellar, that he never really. You never really got a full uh, a full story about, but he's he's got the the only place that snails and frogs left is his like um, dark dingy cellar. Yeah, Howard yeah, Vernon. Yeah, that's played by uh, the famous Swiss act. They they just basically put that in because he's such a famous horror actor. He played yeah. uh, Doctor Olaf, and and then, you know it's fun to have him in there. Um, yeah, but so that's a great little French. like. I, yeah, they just keep cutting to him like his antics and like what he's up to and, and like and then like you're sort of like for the longest time like is there gonna be any payoff to this? And there is. But like And it's and it's it's interesting how quickly that one person found out like we'll just flood the apartment. Like this is a very yeah. straightforward don't eat people solution. Yeah. And they're like, Yeah, but we eat people in the other parts. Yeah, but but <laughs> to a certain degree, like butcher dude like digs it. Like he digs the power play. He digs being the most important guy in the food chain, so to speak. Yeah. And so yeah. there's that that whole kind of like the film keeps asking are, is everyone a victim of their circumstance? And I yeah. think the Howard Vernon character stands to point that like, we could just do this right here. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it, arguably, <laughs> certainly the, the ethical quandary would be out of the way and arguably be more sustainable. But uh, yeah, let's yeah. keep putting out Craigslist ads. You know, that's fine. <laughs> or whatever the post-apocalyptic Craigslist is. I don't know. I mean, you're taking your own uh, career and turning it into like a post-apocalyptic situation for yourself like presumably he's both a landlord and uh, a right. owner so he's like he's already a slimy fucking guy <laughs> well because he knows if he evicts someone like you know it's it's over like he'll be like you know killed by packs of rovers or like whatever they're whatever they are you know, terrified of and like you know irradiated who the heck knows like so but he also leans into it and like okay but also let's make them food dependent as well I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think that all the other characters kind of like give away their agency if you, if you stop and you look yeah. at them like obviously Aurora, like just fucking kill yourself why does it have to be a rube goldberg machine just eat the gun already <laughs> she's, so, she's so diligent and trying to kill herself and it's like yeah like why are you making it this complicated like i mean and i get it because that's played for laughs right which is yeah. hilarious it is. to have an aspiring you gotta be creative with it yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, even she doesn't the... want to be the one to pull the. She doesn't want to be the one to pull the trigger. She wants to kind of leave it up to fate. Which I mean is that kind of Catholic feeling. I think that like yeah. you know if you if you if you kill yourself, you're not gonna necessarily go to heaven. But like if if you know if you leave a bunch of stuff there and someone just happens to pull the thing and then pulls the trigger and you know shoots you in the head, like that's not really that's, killing yourself. That that's the if I swing my arms and walk at you like this and you happen <laughs> to be in the way, you know it's like that level of logic. Also, yeah. how how great is it when like it's like. Oh, it's that dude. It's that dude whispering in the pipes. And she thought it was yes. like Yeah, trying to get her to kill her husband. And she takes the trying to kill her husband into like I right. should try to kill myself instead. So <laughs> fucked up. You know, um, and even the butcher's daughter, like, just leave. Yeah. If you're so upset with her with but like everybody wants to put that responsibility off to fate. Yeah, there is a lot of kind of um like, like, sort of, yeah, existential drift that way. It's a sort of like have, having this sort of like what will be will be kind of, kind of mindset. Except for, of course, the butcher, who's very much like, no, I'm the boss. You will do things my way. This is the way it is. I will decide everything. I only building. Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 very interesting to see. Like the only other character that really isn't like his subject is really the mailman, who's just flat out trying to, you know. Uh, take ownership property style of his daughter the entire time but for some reason they have a mutual respect of some kind because he has something that the, that the butcher still needs which is the mail delivery he has something the butcher needs just like the taxi driver he's got he's mm-hmm. in cahoots with the taxi driver the taxi driver needs a taxi driver because taxi driver is going to bring the new lodgers aka the new meat in right and how how great and hilarious is the guy trying to like smuggle himself out in the garbage can and then getting busted as like a way to be because you're like, what are we watching? What I is like happening? I like to refer right to him now? as the Drew Barrymore of this movie because he's on the cover of the fucking movie and he died right. in the first five minutes. It's like first five minutes is over. Yeah, absolutely. He has, it, those, but, big, he has those nice big eyes that you can kind of yeah, just kind of poking out of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I mean, great. Did not work this time. <laughs> but it, but and it's suspended from French, uh, you know, French film royalty too, which is nice. But yeah, but other than his true. other than his daughter, who obviously has a familial connection to, and you know maybe in some screwed up way loves, like the only people he like gives like an iota of respect to, uh, are these people that like are serving his purpose. It's like a sheer. I mean, 
shockingly sociopathic uh, take on things where it's like literally you know, he needs the mailman he needs the taxi driver so okay like you know he'll still bully them but only a little yeah it's very transactional mm-hmm. everything yeah. is super super transactional between all of the characters involved good point because even the more you know friendly characters are still complicit because they know where the meat's coming from you know, and, everyone you know, knows. And, you know, and the no threat, and the threat is that if you don't, if you, if you get in the way of him getting the meat, you have to give up like members of your family or whatever. Like there needs to be right. meat coming from somewhere. Like the whole thing with the grandma or whatever that you know he's trying to utilize as a way to get the guy to come down or whatever. The guy with his leg, he cuts off the leg as he runs down the stairs, and he's like, "Well, you know, he was really nice about it." Like, I. So my <laughs> question for all y'all: the package that he gives him as the apology for what happened. Is that his own leg? Oh yeah, has to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would be disappointed. Did we girl in the basement a little in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, hey. You so know. you know, in a way, this is a perfect movie to call us back on. You know? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a, wow, wow. <laughs> Got a little cannibalism here and there. The, the, the longest game. Nice. Okay. Well, it's, it's definitely his own leg, and it's definitely. Um, yeah, he gives it to him for free as like a, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get your leg kind of thing. And he's but, like, well, but I, tr- I trust it me. up for you, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's all, it'll be delicious now. Yeah, it's, all, it's a nicely cut piece of meat. What are you <laughs> going to do? Gonna do? Not take the meat? I mean, no, what, what else are you going to get? Yeah, I mean, it's already cut off. You're not going to be able to it's, put it back on. It's <laughs> well, not one, huh? Who here would eat their own leg in this situation? I mean, I don't you, Can you really know what you're going to do in this situation? I feel like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, one in Rome, I guess. Did I have to tell you guys they made a, an anthropology, a group of anthropology students made a type of tofu textured to flavor uh, and feel like human flesh based on talking to uh, tribes that eat human flesh. Uh, and it was called Hufu. And it was available for sale for a period of time in like the wow. 2000s. Interesting. So H U F U? Mm hmm. Hufu. Hufu. They say, I humans, was, they say humans taste like pork a little bit. I've, yeah. I've Long pig. Long pig. So imagine getting interested in who food, trying it, liking it. The product then becomes discontinued for a lack of a market. Now what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I just really like the, I, I like the, the, the vegan equivalent, but uh, they don't make it anymore. I've got a taste for it now. <laughs> and now you've got a horror movie starring a vegan who has to start eating people. Which go. is kind of the opposite of like, I think this is a very vegetarian movie. You know, you go into this and it's like, uh, the, the whole point of it is kind of to raise questions about the efficacy of eating meat. So that's kind of the opposite of, well, that's also, you know, an, an efficacy question, but it's like, um, you know, the vegan side of it. <laughs> yeah, vegans would definitely enjoy this. <laughs> well, but it's yeah. I mean, but again, like the, I mean, the conceit of it is is, is unique in the fact that there are movies about cannibalism. There are movies about like you know post apocalyptic scenarios. There's you know movies about like you know the outsider being brought in that like you know managed to cause like a change in the environment. But I can't think of any of them like in this way where it puts all that together. Like this is a very unique movie, even among post apocalyptic films. Yeah, because, I was going to ask where you guys feel like this fits in the genre of apocalypse films. It, it, it's, seems, very, it odd, seems very odd of apocalypse films. <laughs> it, it seems what? It seems odd, you said? Oh. Hmm? What did you what? say? What, what What did you say? It's forced. Oh, I thought I thought you asked Jared. Um, oh. No, it's like kind of the Sweeney Todd. It's like Sweeney. It's a, Sweeney. Uh, apocal- Got it. It's like a post-apocalyptic Sweeney Todd. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems very unconcerned with like the circumstances that brought this post-apocalyptic environment to life. It's almost like completely, it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like. like it's like a like a fantasy world, like once upon a it's time, academic. but yeah. once upon the future or something like that. It might as well be a golden suitcase, like that glows. Like it doesn't matter. It's but moving it, the plot. Yeah, like we're gonna exactly. introduce this in crazy fact, world and there is take in it fact, a, uh, a golden suitcase in this, and this cues up a clip that. I, oh, there I have. you go. There you go. So, I was just real quick. The only thing I was gonna say yeah. is the only other uh, post-apocalyptic movie I can think of that really uh, talks about nutrition and eating and stuff is probably Soylent Green, frankly. But, oh uh, fuck yeah. yeah! Yeah, but anyway, just just need to get in a soil and green reference. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get it in when I can. Dans cette valise, je vous ai retrouvé des petits objets. Ça, c'est amusant, c'est la boîte euh, qui, contient, qui contenait le nécessaire euh, rustine de Tiki Olgado, euh, qui réparait donc les, les préservatifs. Et puis là, évidemment, voilà, ça c'est tout délicatessen. Alors voilà un autre objet qui a une jolie histoire, évidemment, qui est emblématique dans ce film, qui a une place importante. C'est un objet qui est assez complexe, comme vous pouvez le voir, puisqu'à l'intérieur, tout un mécanisme de radio qui permet de le connecter et d'avoir en ligne directe, à condition de mouliner un petit peu, les troglodytes. Ça, ces objets-là sont amusants parce que euh, eux, c'est le, le générique. Alors, le générique sur ce film, ce n'est pas un générique ordinaire parce qu'il faut quand même savoir qu'on a tourné en toute petite équipe. On devait être cinq, mais ça nous a pris trois semaines. Chaque nom avait un objet particulier. Celui-ci, je l'ai gardé puisque c'était le, le, celui du, du décor qui était sur un mètre cassé. Et je trouve que ce mètre, je l'avais pris dans l'atelier de, de mon père. Un autre petit trésor, ça c'est amusant. Ce sont des maquettes Toujours pour le générique. Donc voilà, ça c'était le petit encart euh, euh, qu'on voyait à la fin. Euh, tout, le monde, tout le monde en parle, un film de Caro Genet. Cette valise, maintenant, je, 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 je prends plaisir à la, à la mettre dans chaque film de, de Jean-Pierre euh, Jean Genet. À chaque fois, elle fait un petit passage quelque part. Elle a été... Euh, dans un long dimanche, Amélie, euh, à chaque fois, elle, elle a une petite place. Je vais toujours lui trouver une petite place. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, love, I love that kind of thing. And, almost, and that almost prefaces the Amelie thing with the gnome, right? Where it's like shows up in different places. So I like the yeah. real life thing that shows up in the movies. Also, just for the audio listeners, love how the condom... Like the, the the patch repair kitty uses for the condom that they have, and it's been patched twice, and there's two kids. I only caught that like in in the second watching of that film recently. Yeah, so I was watching, the first time I was a kid, I just didn't watch it. Yeah, again. you, you like, you're right. It's not the freak you're gonna focus on, but yeah. Like, why is he fixing that weird balloon? Um, <laughs> and the kids are almost like house cats. Like they're just allowed to kind of run around. No one's really watching them. Yeah. They're like. Yeah. <laughs> Are they indoor kids or the outdoor kids? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
free range. Mm-hmm. Well, it, that makes me think about like, well, they're the only two kids that we see, but the other people are employed making those turnaround moo toys. Right. So it's the complete apocalyptic future to the point where we're eating people, but we still have a market for moo toys. No, they're just they're just trying to smell the glue because the glue smells like fish. <laughs> oh, okay. well, well, one could argue. And one might argue, like myself, that right now that perhaps there is a upper class of post-apocalyptic person that they are making these movies for. Your district one. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and they kind of hint. They kind of hint that there's some kind of uh, bureaucratic apparatus when he's talking to the taxi driver, and he's like, "Oh yeah, well, like the you know the working class people are getting restless, and you know they're going to eat their own shoes." But like the kind of implication of that is that there is some kind of both government apparatus and, uh, you know, upper class that's uh, somewhere out there. Because, of course, there will, because people will always find ways to exploit other people to get make themselves get better. And I think in, in post-apocalypse movies, we normally see it being from a more violent standpoint, like physical violence, like we're used to seeing that. But I like that, again, as, as mentioned before, academic doesn't matter. Just like the source of, like, why what happened doesn't matter at all. It's just like, it doesn't, doesn't matter at all. These people's daily lives. Well, you were mentioning Soylent Green as a parallel film, which is very Mm -hmm. apt. Like, do we ever get the why of how we wind up in Soylent Green? I haven't actually seen Soylent Green. I saw it once so long ago. I do not remember. I think it's, I think it's just, yeah. I think it's just like, Hey, we're running out of food. People. There's too many people, too many people, not enough food, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was that pull. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, Forrest and I talked about this a long time ago, but uh, it was the whole idea of like Spaceship Earth of the 70s, where like there's only so much resources. Um, Still and, true, by the way. But yeah, they were they were focused on in the 70s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But we actually. Yeah. But Still we 100 percent true. That has not changed. In fact, yes. Worse. But what we don't know is like what the limit actually is, you know, what the yeah. tipping point is. Um, and it's not what people were saying back in the 70s. Um, well, the whole idea of like Malthusian, uh, you know, like like resource overdevelopment has kind of, as we've been able to grow more things and actually figure out how to do more things, the, the number of like where the earth kind of reaches population collapse goes up. But at the same time, like, you know, there's never like a solid number, I don't think. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the population collapse number goes up, but the quality of living goes down. Yeah, yeah there, there's never going to be like a bell that rings and like, like oh, we did it, guys, we did it. <laughs> All right, everybody, call it class time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we did just reach eight billion people. Yeah, so we'll that's get to, so. We'll get some hufu. It'll sort it right out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. What do you guys think about the the troglodytes? Like the the troglodytes. They're so well, great, and I love that they're like mentioned as these like you know othered, uh, you know boogeymen. So so much, and you finally see them. Like, oh, these guys are awesome! Like, they have cool handshakes and shit. Like, they're they're, they're I guess great. They're supposed to be vegetarians too. The whole thing is that yeah. they're yeah, so they're underground trying. To, they just um, want lentils, yeah. man. Which, but which kind of is is funny that like you know they're under there trying to get to the lentil stash, but he's like the 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 butcher. You know what I mean? Like they've broken yeah. into the butcher house. <laughs> and and the one of the main ones is. Carol, correct? Yes. Like one of yeah. the more, because like what both of them are, Janae is also in there. I feel like I want to create a Benefer name for the two of them and just call them Jano. <laughs> but spelled with I that. Know. I got you. I got yeah. you. He said that in, uh, um, Jano said that in, in San Francisco, that he got asked, like, hey, are you guys a couple? Like him and him and Kuro, he, they were like, they're like, are you guys like, you know, are you guys a Such thing? a power couple. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I love I love those guys. Um, well, I love those guys too. But the uh, but the chocolate diets. The diets are awesome because you kind of like get a glimpse of like you know you're so ensconced in this world in this in this building and like these people's lives in this you know uh, overlord of, uh, of a butcher mm-hmm. that's like controlling everything and then you're like oh yeah and there's this whole other world like literally like twenty feet underground where it's like a completely different social order it seems to be far more equanimous. I mean, like it's granted you have to wear those weird suits, but like, you know, like whatever. It's like it because it's wet, you know, I, you know, like as long as you don't mind the water, it seems like they're having a much better time. They certainly treat each other better. Like, nobody yeah. also, one of them is able like to the, get. Um, yeah. No, they're, they're like the Vichy resistance guys, right? Like yes. um, that's who we based it off of, right? Yeah. Remember, right? The yeah. sounds culottes. <laughs> well, the, they do have like, a name like, like Proglodyte. Yeah. yeah, no, these are supposed to be the guys that are like, uh, you know, because this is post World War II. These are the guys that are like the the resisting the occupation or whatever. But in this case, yeah. the occupation is you know whatever whatever caused the apocalypse. Yeah. They're quite literally the underground movement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, the deck of the underground. They mean it literally. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't name another movie where they're not showing you all of the stuff, like the hierarchy of it from the top and the bottom, right? Like the, this yeah. guy, this is like he's in, he's still, this is a slum still. You know what I mean? Like he's not living any. I mean, he's living better than they are, but he's not really living better than they are. You know what I mean? Like, he's living better than they are by making their lives inherently yeah. worse. Which is key, but yeah, it is not exactly still living high on the <clears throat> hog, if you will, himself. I mean, he's like a, he's a slumlord, and you know, if you're yeah, a slumlord that lives in the in your, in the tenant building, you know, what I mean, like he's a still... petty a petty despot. Yeah, is the perfect yeah, term. and his the money is mostly corn and seed, correct? Like we see a lot of corn, popcorn. Um, yeah, how, yeah, is, how does that this, paying for lentils, paying for the cap with lentils? If nothing can grow, we know that because they say like nothing, nothing. My hair won't grow. Nothing will grow. Or hasn't what grown is, yet. I don't know. Like, what's the value of them. seeds? Like why are they? Why that? I think I it's maybe they will. I don't know. Or, I mean, yeah, I guess it, it, it's it's the grain thing, and that's why like uh, when they the cookies, they stormed, the co- the cookies yeah. have high value because of that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. but the, when they stormed the Bastille and stuff, like you know what I mean, it was to get the grain from inside of it, and I mean mm-hmm. you know part of that was growing it, but it's it kind of just. I think there's eating it too, like the at least. The yeah, it's weird to have money more. that you could eat that feels yeah. like ooh. <laughs> it's I like know, Scrooge McDuck in his yeah. money bin, but it's just you, a regular bin. Yeah, you can eat like, like, it. Like, it's many <laughs> like, pieces of a says, salad. Like, <laughs> yeah, Sorry, Scrooge well, McDuck. The, the the butcher insults them and he's like those are the guys that eat the money or something <laughs> and right. like, yeah well, yeah why why wouldn't they <laughs> like mice Food, right yeah I mean like yeah exactly but that but that shows. But that shows like his take on it, right? Which which is his social order, the social order of which he is the top of the food chain, the top mm-hmm. of the pecking order, is the only one that matters and the only one's allowed to exist. Literally can't envision a world without him at the top of it. It will not. To the point that he only tolerates the mailman, he only tolerates the taxi driver, like because they serve his end. Again, going back to the sociopathy of uh, that character. Yeah, yeah. Which the only part of humanity to him at all is that like he has at least an affinity if if not actual like you know father daughter love for his daughter like yes you know uh, that's literally the other than that, he's just he's just a monster <laughs> well and like he has obviously the the animal needs of uh you know <laughs> speaking of animals the uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, and the transactional exchange from a woman way out of his league as well, but like he's again top. He's the he's the boss of it all here, right? So yeah, he's, he's I, enjoyed her, I enjoyed her car- character arc. That whole 
uh, what happened with the other woman who wasn't his daughter. Uh, yeah. But that was really fun. Yeah, and and he's I, I, no clown gets that much pussy. Like he he's you know the women are falling, <laughs> women are falling for him and stuff. Like he's a clown. You know what I mean? But it's a famous one though. And his friend. You know, yeah, ladies have a guy that can make them laugh. Actually, that's part of one of the another things that when I first saw this movie that truly rocked me. I mean, it was very weird, but it was like the first movie I ever saw where the protagonist was meant to be attractive ladies found him attractive but he was not like matt damon right he did not not an attractive person yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. i found that endearing i feel like that has become a lost art as as now like character actors are also like you know people that are in leading roles as well that like that's getting lost it's like it's like now it's only pretty people and it's pretty people that can act and that's fine but like it's also nice to have someone that just kind of looks like they got hit with a hammer or something. And like, oh, wow. Well, I mean, that's why, that's why there's Peter Laurie or something, right? I mean, yeah. Give me a Margot Martindale rom-com. Yeah, fucking A. They, they need love, too. You know, that's, they why, can be- uh, that's why The Sopranos blew up as big as it did at the time, right? It was like yeah. an overweight, overweight kind of, you know, really Italian-looking guy that, uh, you know, was able to get whole women and... And not just Tony Soprano, but the whole cast. Like, it's a bunch of dumpy-looking dudes for the most part, you know? And Although- they all have Gumas. Yeah. I will argue that America loves watching a television show where the male is a dumpy looking guy and the lady is oh, so yeah. damn hot. I mean, you're Kevin James. You're like over and over again. Yeah. Like, we're here for that. Yeah, that's absurd. But like, I mean, it's. So we, we need like another but, Walter Matthau or Gene Hackman or something. Yeah, but Dominique Pignon is not like actively overweight or unattractive. He's just not. It's just a different like looking leading dude. man. He's yeah, yeah he's not traditional leading. Looking. He's very yeah. French looking. I have a couple clips of him uh, talking about preparing for this and stuff. And yeah, it's like when you find out that he's a clown, you're like, of course that dude's a clown. Why did mm-hmm. I? Of course he is. That makes there's only a couple. Yeah. There's only you know the two jobs you can really have in France: butcher and clown. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Choose so, your fighter. Some, some people are either. Some people are both. The Contessa then was an extraordinary film because there you're very kind of you're athletic. It's almost like in some of the Genet films, it's almost like you're a bit of a circus performer because you have to use your whole body in a particular way. Yes, I was young, and uh, I was easier first. Uh, no, I did some things I had to learn, like uh, the, the seesaw, and uh, but. Well, it was uh, before. It was uh, a very nice part. It was like a, a prince charmant. Huh? I would never think uh, I would be given such parts in the film. And uh, well, this one, we had the feeling on the set that we were doing something that would uh, that would be something. You know, it was a very first thing for many of the actors, a first thing for many technicians. And uh, and the script was so uh, out of the way of the uh, uh, usual things uh, you saw in the cinemas at this time that uh, we had the feeling that we were doing something very peculiar. Mm-hmm. What is it like acting in a film like that? Because I imagine with Jeunet, uh, this film is Jeunet and Caro working together, it must be very, very precise because the mise-en-scene is so you know, oui. spot on and yes, there's yes. a certain acting style and all the camera positions are a certain way. So it, I guess it can't be about improvisation very much. 
There's a there's a second part to that that I grabbed, but uh, you know, yeah. I was gonna say definitely not in terms of answering that question, unless you want to get an answer <laughs> for them, which I will. <laughs> no, it's I mean it's I, I like it because he, he's like again like one of these character actors. He's a that guy. He's a that but, guy kind of. But, but, but a very French yeah. that guy. But he's the most French that guy. That guy. That guy, <laughs> for sure. He's that monsieur. Monsieur, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Even even in um, I took German. My sorry. Yeah. <laughs> even even in Alien, which which I saw before I really knew who Janae was or any of his other work, like I remember seeing him and like ha- just recognizing the very distinct face. Like who is that guy? Yeah, like he looks like a dude that you feel like you should know, even if you've never seen him in anything. You're like I know yeah. I should know who that guy is. Who is he? Just one of those instantly compelling faces. And I don't yeah. and I don't even know any French people really. I mean, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I think that you know. Circus performers have a really good like language of mechanics and body movement that would be, mm-hmm. you know, something that a director is really going to buy into, really going to like that I can talk to you very quickly and we can know how you can get this scene where many of these scenes have no dialogue. So you need to get your, your actor where they're going with the joke, which is physical, like, oh, yeah, circus clown, this is your... Your dream. I would argue again to go back to the is Del Toro just Genet? Um, I, I, like uh, Dominique Pignon is to Genet as Doug Jones is to Del Toro. Like Doug Jones is a very famous body actor. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, no. the, the the having that language is super super helpful to getting these these really eerie, no dialogue bits across to you. Yeah. Maybe they're like, fighting. Maybe they were fighting over custody of Ron Perlman. <laughs> perfect example is that movie day shift where the, the fellow who directed it um I can't, I can't remember his name right now but that movie day shift with the vampires he got a bunch of contortionists to be the vampires so therefore the way they move is like probably one of the most arresting things other than snoop dogg as like a cool vampire hunter cowboy like figure which is just awesome in, an, in yes. a different way is the yeah. fact how they move is like crazy and it's an actual contortionists that are doing mm-hmm. it. And it's the, so cool because it's unique looking. It's like you haven't yeah. seen that before. The yeah, nurses in Silent be. Hill are another same uh, group of like contortion dancers. Yeah. Like yeah. that scene doesn't fuck you up. I don't know. <laughs> you're you're a, you're a scary person, man. Yeah, You've don't look in that closet. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is the, uh, this is the second part of him talking about this. Uh, Improvisation or whatever you want to. There's a scene when I, I'm coming to my. Uh, to my lover girl um, uh, Julie Clapé, and uh, uh, for the, the the for tea to to have tea at, uh, in her apartment, we rehearsed uh, yeah a lot of time the scene. Uh, I, I was supposed to sit here, and she was supposed to sit here, and I was supposed to uh, to pour her tea uh, on a glass uh, this way and way. And so when we uh, when the day came where we had uh, to shoot the scene, we were very prepared and uh, everything. And you know that my uh, lover girl in the film is, is uh, supposed to be uh, short-sighted. And um, so she had to, to rehearse a lot. And when we shot the scene, we, we did uh, one take, two takes, and Jean-Pierre wasn't very happy. And so it just came to me and he told me instead, of sitting there, you're going to sit here. And he just told the uh, the, the the cameraman and the light director, and um, 
and uh, I was the, I was the only one to know it. My partner didn't know it. So when I did that, and uh, she had a real panic, and and uh, the 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 scene that is in the film is is uh, the result of that uh, that thing. That's so he likes sometimes to to you know to how do you say to to rush to to, to change at the last push minute things yeah, push direction. things different way to yeah yeah and this film is so much about a certain style 1930s 1940s yeah, yeah, french yeah. cinema did yeah. he say go and look at a lot of marcel carnet or something yeah yeah of course of course that's a, well there were two directors uh, carreau and genet mm -hmm. and they were fond of uh of old old French series, and uh, they were they were found of this period of the fifties, and also because a question of budget, because to to have a set with all this kind of object is, well, in a way, it's it's easier to get. It was easier to get at this time, and uh, that's it. That is a great scene because I, I I love that like she doesn't yeah she doesn't want to wear her glasses and like and, and it's just it's freaking hilarious because like he doesn't he wants to like you know make a good impression too so he's like kind of helping but then she's like over pouring the tea and it's over it's hilarious it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's classic physical comedy like when it's classic physical comedy with like yeah. crazy stakes because you have to think like you know they're at the end of the world how many uh, how many cookies are left how much tea yeah. is left yeah exactly well also like how much how but much opportunity do you have for Le Romance, you know. Oh, that's I mean? a good like, point too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like, yeah. there's that one guy that comes around, but you can tell she's, she's not interested in the postman guy that like wants to, you know, club her over the head and bring her to a cave or something. Like she's only, right, you know. right. <laughs> yeah, far far less endearing character than the drummer. And yeah. uh, the perfect example is the someone who can say your name in a way that makes you hate your own name. Julie, my name is Rebecca now. Yeah. Exactly. You've ruined it um, for me. Someone says in the, Jay Hutch talks too much, says in the comments that Dominique Pignon looks like he could be a Canadian prime minister. And I kind of, I feel like if Montreal became its own country after all of this, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he could be the, the PM for Montreal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's about, about a clown who becomes prime minister through some like, uh, was that the Zelensky ball? show? Like was a Mr. There? Bean kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. I was I thinking, mean, uh, what's uh, that called, Forrest? You watched the whole thing. Oh, uh, the uh, Servant of the People, the Zelensky's. Yeah. Uh, I, but, like, I don't know. Like, there's been a lot of weird-looking Canadian prime ministers up until Trudeau, who's, like, you know, the one the one handsome uh, Fidel Castro kid-looking one. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, his dad certainly falls in the category of weird-looking prime ministers, too, which is yeah. weird. Yeah, he used to have the uh, Spanish Inquisition villain mustache, uh, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Back in the ah, why did he get rid of it? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, but he, you know, Castro has swag, so I guess maybe that's where he got it from. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, but we get... nipples. Okay, look, this is not the after party. This is a mustache and uh, oh, he's going for like out. a D'Artagnan kind of thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, big. Big Three Musketeers vibes. You're right. Like a guy. Oh, I mask. hate the bottom part. <laughs> yeah, that sucks really bad. That, <laughs> that looks like he'd be like a, a disposable bad guy in Blade. 
<laughs> he's, he's like he's like posing for a cover for like a you know he looks like he's like looking like a model but then also fucking like a model for like the 1500s or something he's modeling like tunics or something like that like- <laughs> he's, definitely, he's definitely gonna call me my lady <laughs> he 100 would call you my lady and like and mean it but also like maybe like ha ha but also, <laughs> but also gonna, here's my gonna, fedora. He's gonna tip his uh, his feathered cap at you. Like, yeah, but little. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he would definitely have like all kinds of uh, fencing gear too, for sure. So maybe, hey. Yeah, hey, maybe work hey. out. Hey, yeah. that's, like, that's... mind if I take out this tip? <laughs> I can't get that. Like, hold on. Uh, I saw it right as I. Uh, dude's got a trapezoid soul patch. <laughs> yeah, it, it, does. It, it goes the wrong way. It's totally like it's like somebody described what a soul patch should look like, and he got it wrong <laughs> from memory. Yeah, he looks anyway. like he's uh, auditioning to be the sheriff of Nottingham, and like the you know, yo, that's yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. But but I think that um okay, so like getting back to the movie, like that that scene's incredible because like you you get like a little moment of like, you know, normalcy in this like insane like cannibalistic household that's like it's the first time you really get to see her kind of like be a human too. And like you get to see her be something other than like the daughter of this monster who's a, you know, at least tacitly complicit as much as she keeps trying to get away which then you know you see that they're at odds about this right like uh, shockingly he's overprotective wow who could have predicted that (laughs) you know um and you know she she thinks he's not a doofy looking dude she thinks like that you know she there's something about him that that she likes and 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 they managed to put that in and they do it in a way that's like i know so many movies with bigger budgets and better special effects that try to pull this off and it's terrible it's like drop this right now Get to the monsters immediately because this sucks. She also yeah. seems to uh, be constantly like trying to get the guys that come there to at least, uh, you know, without without I think overtly telling them or without overtly challenging her dad. Like she tries to get him to free each guy that comes in there. But then, right. you know, but then it's different because this time she seems to fall for him. But you, yeah. you'd have to imagine that she's constantly like, hey, do we have to like kill this guy? It's like almost like a pet. You know what I mean? Like or something like that where like, uh, you know, you're asking your parent like, Hey, do we really have to like uh, you know, or yeah. stop like like my parents just like catch mice or something with like a mouse trap and something like I I would imagine that she would be like, hey, maybe let's not trap them with a mouse trap or something this time. You know what I mean? Like right. Try, really, trying to like yeah. cajole the sociopath to not being a sociopath. Right. Well, I mean, imagine growing up uh the daughter or son of a you know, a farmer or anyone who has livestock. Yeah. You're like, maybe we well, don't I, uh, kill the lamb this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying but to think of an example and didn't think of that one that could. <laughs> my grandmother got a pig uh, a while back and named it Arnold and raised it from, from a piglet. And uh, one day the pig disappeared and we we're having a big like family uh, um, ham. And all of a sudden just one of my cousins just sports out, is this Arnold? <laughs> was it? It was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the reality of it, though, and it feels like she is arguing for a pet, just like you said. Yeah. Like, please don't kill this pet, but she argues for every pet because there's no gravitas to her. Like, don't kill this guy. I love him. He's like, <laughs> you're such a sweetheart. Well, yeah. he's also like, you, well, you keep telling me, you know, not that. Yeah, you, love you the say guy, that about keep, all of you know, them. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but then you eat the meat anyway, you know. Well, it's that's his big, you know? that's his rationale for everything. He's like, well, you have no problem eating the meat, right? 
and like and and like everyone just kind of like oh, okay well, I guess and well look at the way that she looks she's got those biscuits she's got the nice outfits she's got mm-hmm. the really clean apartment as much as she's like don't do this she reaps all of the benefits of that decision sure. and doesn't choose to leave like she she has some complicity you know by just uh the privilege she gets from being the daughter of a petty despot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a serious privilege despot privilege she didn't check herself <laughs> do better yeah. uh, I think the yeah we need clapping clapping hands emojis for sure for I did I did the despot I uh more female butcher cannibals it's uh it's it's like desperate privilege by desperate privilege by uh Robin D'Angelo it's like the white fragility but it's the one for despots kids <laughs> I, I love Okay. Point of order. I, I love the, uh, the like the way the movie unfolds, where the physical comedy turns into like literally like the rooms just disintegrating and like the building like falling apart and just like like yeah, to the point that like a favorite small thing for me is that like when the bathroom collapses and just the toilet is like hovering. <laughs> Like, oh, like a, a plank yeah. board. Yeah, it's just like on one plank, and it's just like a toilet, like hanging on, like on a on a plank. Yeah, yeah that's that's how I mean, those be, are made. It would be funnier if it was the, uh, you know, if there was someone sitting on that toilet, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that that would be the cheap gag, right? But 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 like I I think that the movie didn't do cheap gags. Though, this it did movie. not. Yeah, it's very expensive ones. Apparently, four million dollar budget. But like the, uh, I, I but I think that all works, and like you get to see like the you know, the denouement, if you will, of their, uh, of their relationship. And th- this really like, we'll just go and say, charitably say adverse situations. There's like attempted gunfire and attempted gunfire. One of like the weirdest things that w- w- is, is like, Oh, like, wait, what are they doing with that glue? Like, why are they putting glue down? The- oh, it's going in the gun so that you can't use the gun to sh- Oh, okay. All right. Cause it, I, I mean, even though I've seen it before, I was like, what is, what? What's 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 what this? It's pretty huh? smart for some kids to know that that's how that would work. <laughs> so maybe if you just let your kids run wild, with um, very effective ways to like stop the nasty man with a gun. So there you go. That's the that's moral the, of the story. Yeah. So, so maybe leave that condom time. unpatched, or just don't <laughs> keep your hands. I don't know. Yeah, so I watched this. Have, yeah, don't don't lock down your schools. Just let the kids run wild. Only only with glue can you stop a can you stop a school shooter. Yeah, that, that apparently our yeah. a reaction to school shootings for this country. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched this movie with my husband, who is a uh, you know a handyman, this con- construction, and so mm-hmm. that point where the toilet fell like that, he's like, "Yeah, that's because that's how that floor would work." Um, but also earlier on when they're doing the sinks, and you know, you turn yeah. one and it comes out, my husband immediately goes, "That is that would be so hard." to choose to do (laughs) (laughs) and i love that no matter what your thing is when you're watching movies you have that moment of like (sighs) (laughs) yeah there's also this is this is 30 seconds late or a minute late but uh the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a glue gun that's good that's good Uh, put put that on the (laughs) t-shirt Yeah, that's right. a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like i mean but I, I get that too like i mean if i you know there, there's there's a few things with me where I'm like no no especially oh my god if you ever see somebody playing a musical instrument and they're just like not playing it it's just it's like just don't just don't show it literally just don't show it yeah i'm like stop 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 which is why it's funny uh former uh multiple former guests of the show uh chris murphy for uh scott pilgrim versus the world he was the guy from uh, sloan 
he he came in and his job was literally to show these non musician right. actors how to play their instruments and not look like they're not playing their instruments. Except Michael Sarah, who who knew how to play. Who knew how to play, yeah. But Allison Pill actually yeah. learned the drums from Chris Murphy of Sloan, who's a great drummer, by the way. It's not his That's main awesome. instrument. He's a great drummer. Yeah, I've seen him play uh, live before too. Yeah, they switch I, I, off. Can it? Can it? Uh, you know, can it test? Um, but yeah, and, and I mean, Allison I thought you were gonna say Canada. <laughs> was like, I didn't know we could do that. Canada. <laughs> you see in uh, you see in you know Justin Trudeau's that kills mustache. in Quebec. Thank you. <laughs> you see in Justin Trudeau's mustache. How about Canada? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. New rules, folks. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are we? So I'm sorry. Are we? Are we do we want to do one-liners or want to keep going with that? I mean, I, wanna, I know. It's I mean, we could do we could do one-liners. Okay. I mean, did, did you get KT, Jerry? Do you guys have anything else with that? With all the shit we're running, do you have anything uh, like the the crashing day now? Like the the you know, I mean, that's some great set dressing too. By the way, it's hard to make like a building falling apart look like it's falling apart the correct way and not like the lamest way possible when it's a set. Oh yeah, I was I was going to say about musicians trying to play instruments. You do wind up getting the inverse of that because of just editing. Uh, There's a great story where Taryn Egerton learned how to play the piano for uh, Top Gun Maverick because he has a scene where he plays "Goodness Gracious, Great Balls of Fire" on the piano, and he like months went at it, got it, great, does it live. They tape the whole thing, and it's like three seconds and it's just a close-up <laughs> of his face of course it is yeah yeah of course yeah. and it's like i did that's a heart on the piano so like yeah. yeah you know they only want to show it to you when it's when it's shit meanwhile there's somebody playing a guitar yeah. solo and their hand looks like this right and they're like, yeah. it's and, like oh and like yeah. there besides the princess bride there has never been a real fencing in anything where i haven't been just like please i want to die this is so bad that's interesting. They corner the market on fencing movies. Well, they're the only ones who try. Everyone else is like, that's not how you hold that. That's not even the right weapon. You're not even wearing the right outfit. <laughs> I think Highlander the series got it right, but but it's not a movie, so it doesn't count. Highlander the movie got it so right. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so... Yeah, Letterboxd is a uh, place for film lovers to talk at with and to each other about the films they love, the films that they didn't love, the films that they perhaps had problems with fencing about. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> and of course, it's an open source democracy. Everyone gets to have their say, not just the Siskels and Eberts of the world. Uh, everybody gets to chime in. Bottom-up democracy. And uh, this is best expressed uh, succinctly, not in this... Uh, you know, four hours seems like 12 hours uh, kind of vibes that movies are going for these days. Uh, in the classic one-liner format, we're going to chat five. These are the letterbox one-liners for Delicatessen. Roll them. What if the world had ended and you just had the worst landlord? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to think of a worse one, frankly. It makes yeah. me wonder, uh, you know, how many of them lived in this before, in, in his building before this happened. And oh, but, but they have like rent control or something. So, well, I can't move. I just keep giving him a, a thing full of lentils and he doesn't, you know, it's uh, he never stops. Sure, he's a cannibal and a murderer, but have you seen the rent? Anyway, it's like twenty-seven a month, twenty-seven hundred a month in Bushwick. How <laughs> can't fucking move? Army Hammer would love this movie. True. 
<laughs> My dream is to live in a basement filled with frogs. Like that sucks. sounds that sounds terrible. Every half an hour you hear, hello, my baby, hello, my honey, and you know, it wakes you the fuck up. Hey, you ever get a moment's peace? You have to start with a basement full of tadpoles. That's the that's the thing. Did you mean to type that in to letterbox or were you talking to your online therapist? <laughs> Shoot, wrong window. Ah. God damn it. Not again. French people do be crazy though. Mm, mm -hmm. Can't argue with that. I actually think that there's an inherent level to which this movie feels crazy and weird for us in that it is like so French, so set in a French existence, and yeah. that in itself is foreign to us. I wonder if that has that same feeling if you were French and you're watching this movie. Is this like a mumblecore indie dramedy? If you're actually <laughs> French? Well, that's a good point, though, because when I think of like most of my fav favorite French films, it's all like French New Wave or like stuff that's around that era, right? So it's like, and that's all sort of they were defying convention of uh, you know cultural norms and things along those lines, as much as um, you know people like people like Bogdanovich and whatnot were doing over here. So that that is a that is that is a very interesting and salient point for a French people do be crazy though. Uh, review. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I imagine Quebec is like. <laughs> They're a little, uh, you know, it's colder it, than depicted. Yeah, I was gonna say there's more snow. Otherwise, it's pretty dang, dang on. Yeah. No, I mean, even I, I think they're a little, uh, they're a little shady in Quebec, even for the French. Uh, Actually, yeah. and also a lot more walking uphill. I have been to Quebec a lot. Yeah, more Quebec. Is, there's a lot of walking about. Also, Quebec's pretty shady, man. Like I've I've played there. It's like the, the the venue is like, oh yeah, you just leave your gear here overnight. Like don't leave it in your van. It's like what really? It's like oh yeah. I'm like oh, okay. If you say so. <laughs> no, I was saying that Quebec's a little shadier than the actual like actual French. Oh, oh, I see what you're yeah, saying. So yeah, this is, this is this is what I'd imagine. <laughs> We'd like to welcome our French Canadian viewers. <laughs> Yes, this was disturbing. But personally, the most upsetting moment for me was when that couple's bed springs were creaking and my grandmother whispered, the rhythm of life. Oh. <laughs> Why are you when you get your own grandmother? custom viewing. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks like, so that kind of demands elaboration. Yeah, yeah. Like, of all movies to watch with your grandmother, why this one? I, I mean... I, kind of hint something about the grandma, the, the scene where they get the grandma a heart attack and then... <laughs> I have no answers. In a close call, this just makes it into the top three cannibalism-based romantic comedies I've seen this year. Mm, it is an <laughs> opening, growing, a vastly growing genre if you include uh, zombie rom-coms. Yeah. Bones Can we just give a shout out? Bones and all. This user's name is Once Upon a Tom in Hollywood, which I think is a pretty great username. Too. <laughs> that is a great username. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was called Tom so I could do something like that. Exactly, but you but you were tailor made for uh, for until the end of the world. So yes, yeah, yes. can't complain about that one at all. Delicious. <laughs> hey, director Joe Lynch would yep. order again. Exactly. Good Special dude. Order. This whole movie be like cannibalism. A good thing. Discuss. <laughs> well, depends on who you're eating. I think that is the most accurate description of the film so far. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, some tags. Those underground guys look like moles. Also, he apologized. Pretty good. <laughs> well, it's like the it's like the, the Sweeney Todd line where it's like uh, you know how gratifying for once to know that those above will be serving those down below. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> that is very apt. I, I I didn't read the comment. The little tags. That's fantastic. 
Some of them are pretty great. Some of them are better than the actual one-liners. Not this time, though. <laughs> Sorry, Wes Anderson. Pastel tones are out, and vomit hues are in. I don't want to watch anything unless it gives me the aesthetic of food poisoning, and that is that. <laughs> I would say that is Second an date. accurate description. <laughs> well, I, I mean, when they designed Freddy Krueger, remember they put the red and green together because it is so off-putting to the eye, and yet that's the whole color aesthetic of this movie. I mean, look at the screenshot. I was going to yeah. say they're as orange as a Michael Mann movie right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's uh, it, 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 vibes. It's various streetlight colors. You know, like when you go and there's the mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Those are the letterbox one-liners for Delicatessen. Please follow the show on Letterboxd, which is Moving Next Travaganza. That's Crispy Chip. Crispy Chip over there. <laughs> Not spoken aloud on this show thus far, and obviously got me. Crispy Chip over there, your host, Forrest, is, uh, is on there. I, of course, am the Hufu SD Kona Neutron, uh, at Kona Neutron, uh, logging everything new, old, high, mid, low brow, and beyond. Jay Andrew, the Australian gets here Friday world, is logging all the weirdest stuff. So you don't have to, or so maybe you can check it out. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to call balls and strikes, really, is what I'm here for. Uh, Jared, you have a letterbox account. It's pretty good. Oh, you're, thank uh, you. yes. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think, I think it's just your name, right? It's, Jared's it's the same thing as right, right here. Highly recommend, especially for uh, film estates, to uh, follow Jared. He watches a lot of good stuff, and I mm -hmm. say so as a Hufu estate. KT, I don't think you have a letterbox account, right? I do have a letterbox, but I haven't started writing on it. I've just been using it to read your guys' stuff. Oh, okay. Well, yes. that's okay. I don't mind that. <laughs> what, what do you say, Jared? Good. Oh, no, I, I wasn't. Oh, okay. Uh, so... The Australian gets here Friday. That's true. Jander World takes with plugs, please. All right. You're watching us on YouTube right now. Please do the YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe. Um, leave a comment. And uh, big ask, watch the video to the end because uh, that will help uh, us in the algorithm and more movie. Well, you're not, you're not telling everyone to hit that bell this time? Damn. Oh, yeah. There's the bell to hit it. I uh, <laughs> was not looking at my uh, screen like I normally do. Because you glance down and be like, oh, yeah, hit the bell. Well, you're off to a banging start. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got the ball. He fumbled at the 50-yard line. So well done. Oh, yeah, <laughs> hold on to your pod Here comes the next page. Um, Thanks for the follow, follow Jay Hutch. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we, we have a community. We have a group. Uh, <laughs> However long that place lasts. Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh, my God. Uh, it's, yeah. Um, you're you're feeling like the last dude at the party, if you know what I mean. It's like, hey, everybody. <laughs> Y'all head um, over to Truth Social? It feels like you're, uh, feels like you're hanging out at a Chappelle uh, you know, stand-up show, and you're waiting for everybody to start to start booing until just Elon nukes it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but we're also on Gitter. Uh, no, we're not on Gitter. But, but we are on Mastodon. And uh, yeah, we are on Mastodon. Are we? Facebook. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Um, I know the animal in the band. I tried Mastodon, but then I never checked it again. But <laughs> Technically, yes. We. I. Yeah. Um, I have a problem with Mastodon because the app doesn't work very well. And uh, I never remember to upload pictures when I'm on my computer. So Yeah, other than that, it's great. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Mastodon has, yeah, has some bugs it needs to work out. But, but uh, uh you know, until then, you can't find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Like us on Facebook. Um, yeah, should. And Instagram, too. We got Instagram. That's the one, yes. that's one that people actually like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
and a Patreon. Don't forget the Patreon. Uh, go over. To no, Patreon. nobody likes that. No, ah, Patreon. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be over at Mastodon if you need me. I'll give you money. <laughs> I'm not going to retruth this. <laughs> but uh, being a Patreon, uh, being on Patreon, gets you access to things like our after parties when we uh, have them. Uh, and say, say like tonight, we're not doing one, so you can actually go and watch an older one and be like, after party forever. Yeah. It, 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 last last Friday's was pretty rowdy. Yes. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I was overserved. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I was uh, doing the serving, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> so I am serving. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you have Protonic Reversal coming up this week. Uh, yeah, yeah. Alec Mackay of uh, Hammered Holes and uh, uh, the Warmers, Faith, Ignition, and yes, Ian's brother. Um, and then I had Mike Watt on and Mike, uh, the legendary Mike Watt, Minutemen, etc., as well as Mike Bagata, who um, these are different episodes that uh, both are. Are, well, Mike Watt episodes up in the general feed and the Mike Watt episodes still patron only until Monday, but they did a fantastic couple records together. A really cool, interesting guitar player, kind of like a Nels Klein uh, type fella. Really interesting. Uh, excited to talk to Alec. That Hammered Holes record is probably, it's in my top 10 of the year. It's really good. And that's one that like I didn't even listen to it until like maybe a month ago. But uh, it's fantastic. So highly recommended. And um, yeah, it's per- and then I guess I should probably do the my favorite records of the year episode that I always do, but it hasn't really set in that that's almost the end of the year. So I think it's probably going to be that maybe this weekend. I did. It's like, so what? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be January any minute now, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, all that's out on Protonic Reversal, ProtonicReversal.com. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you got uh, stuff on uh, uh, NeutronFriends.Bandcamp.com. I do. I have my yeah. band on that. Yes. As well uh, as just newtownfriends.com if for some reason people don't like Bandcamp. Bandcamp's the one thing it's like if I met someone who didn't like didn't like Bandcamp, that's a sociopath. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> like if you don't like Spotify, get it. Don't like iTunes, totally understand. Don't like Bandcamp, sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bandcamp is very nice. Uh it treats it treats its customers well. So so like uh you know we actually see money this. out of it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so so check that out. You know, but make sure you can get uh, 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 Conan's music on vinyl. You can get uh, That's What I Call Dudes Screaming T-shirts, stickers, nope. buttons. So close. That's why nope. I call dudes yelling. Ah. And, and we also we also have magnets, but I haven't put them up online yet. But Yeah. I got the shirt. Uh, stuff that you lick and slap Forrest on Forrest has the shirt. Yeah, he does have the shirt. <laughs> I forgot about that. You got it in, uh, uh, not Poughkeepsie. Where the fuck do we play? Peekskill. There we go. Poughkeepsie is picking my feet there. Yeah. No, no. Peekskill, that's where uh, Facts of Life is. I have the shirt, and much like uh, Arby's in this movie, you know? I got the beef. There's the... <laughs> <laughs> nice plug for Arby's. You get free... Welcome to our new sponsor. I, just, I, just I was trying to eventually connect this movie and Arby's. Uh, you like that reasons. horsey they sauce? To, they don't go to, you know, they don't go to Arby's in yeah. the movie. Well, we're just going to have to fight like uh, these are bad movies behind the Arby's. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to have to get people to go there because, you know, I, I don't want to have to fight anyone. I'm just like, oh, well, no one's at Arby's. Like, you know, no one goes there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Conan, you have one more show this year coming up uh, in Chicago on the 30th. Chicago. Uh, Reggie's with uh, Ghost Force and Interesting Bricks. 
Yeah, and I think uh, Ravana and uh, crew are going to come out for that, so that's going to be cool. So if you're in Chicago, come brave the cold, see us play. It'll be last time for a bit, because Tony is back in Louisville now. Uh, so we're going to be playing this area less often, which is fine. I'm fine with that. Which doesn't mean we're going to stop playing, don't get me wrong, but it's just going to be like, yeah, stop taking us for granted, people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, let's see. Christina's not here, but I am going to tell people to go check out her uh, coffee. Um, you know, support her because she's. Uh... That's the weird. I understand what you're saying, but it's the weirdest sentence to say. Like, and it's sort she's of a like... coffee manufacturer. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> delicious. Uh, it's has got a side hustle. Uh, ko-fi dot com. It's like basically you leave like three dollar tips for people. Yeah, it's like Patreon for Twitch or something. Is how she described it. Yeah, it's it's basically the whole. And I was concept, like, isn't that Patreon? But okay. Yeah, no, the whole concept is like buy, buy your uh, buy somebody you like a coffee. You you can yeah. give her money. That you can give Christina you can give our, our Christina money, and that's we like that. So. Yeah, but it's so, spelled uh, differently, so they know how to get there. Yeah, I think, it's like K O U E U R G H F E A G H. It's the phonetic spelling of the uh, Korean word for coffee, which <laughs> is just you know just transliterate the the kanji. You'll be fine. Yeah. E E E A. Yeah, you're asking me to spell. This is gonna be great. <laughs> you're, you're you're the one that made us made us spelling. I thought like maybe maybe she has a really nice dark roast. You know, making <laughs> stuff over uh, from Jamaica. Like I, I, everybody's got Dennis hustle. Dennis Tech from Radio Birdman was on Tonic Reversal, and he has a coffee plantation on the Big Island in Hawaii, and it is awesome. And I highly yeah. recommend it. So. <laughs> Very and cool. if, if you want to get coffee from the guy from Radio Birdman, there you go. But yeah, it's like K-O-F-I or something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be spelled I, cool, like limousine. I, I forgot to write down the, the website to send like uh, Kofi, Kofi Annan. Kofi Annan. It's like Kofi yeah. Annan. <laughs> Kofi 2012. It's like Kofi Annan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can go Good. tip your despot. Pokemon Co. Feed the Poles. You know what I mean? Like, uh... oh. <laughs> that, that's going to be the new thing that Elon is pushing. Like the tip your despot. Because <laughs> he's going to be needing it. Uh, so, so um, He's an he, aspiring despot. He's not a proper despot. He, he, he's, he's a wannabe despot, which is even sadder. Anyway, yes. continue. Um, Katie, you have anything you want to plug? I, I We kind of forgot to talk about that before we started. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you can ah, check the girl in the basement on uh, yes, yeah, um, wherever you want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, we have it on YouTube right now, actually, which is a really great way to, to go and catch it uh, free. Just stream it. People like that. It's integrated into your Roku. Have some fun. And if you're watching this on YouTube, it's on the thing you're already watching. So what's your goddamn excuse? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just type it up, girl in the basement. Oh, but make sure that you write like 2015. Otherwise, you can watch that Hallmark movie. Also, pretty good, but different. <laughs> but <laughs> different vibes. We'll try like to listen 30, to different vibes. Us, 32 minutes. So, if we talking about that, like, I don't want a seven hour movie. Boom. <laughs> 32 minutes. 32 yep. minutes. And uh, Jared also worked on that. Uh, I know mm -hmm. you got a bunch of things, Jared, that are in post production. And I don't even know where to begin to look because I was looking at your uh, IMDb. Fantastic. Thank God you're the guy doing the plugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been working on a couple of productions out out here in L.A. Um, I, I, I worked on this uh, 
one movie for BET a couple months back, which should be premiering next month, I think. Um, and right now I'm working on a documentary, so I'm keeping busy. And yeah. you can find any of my stuff online too, so um, check it out. Yeah, because that's right on your website. I just rewatched. Um, uh, was it the Earth movie? The Earth rejects them. Oh yes, yeah. yeah that, thank you. Great one. Yeah. Yeah, KT was in that too. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. I'm one of the like coming at you in the dark things. Yeah, you are absolutely creepy. <laughs> that's I what try. we're going for. Yeah. It's, what it can. it's like it's completely unsettling right? like it's this sweet movie about kids and then it just turns to be unsettling at the end it's great <laughs> it's, it's like how i feel about actual kids yeah. i was gonna say that i was like do i pull that joke out or just bring it back a little <laughs> I, I was gonna say that's how i feel about the plugs that's where i was gonna go with it. <laughs> uh yeah and if you like these plugs you can actually see me do stuff like this live yeah, um, in new would, york city yeah. Uh, come heckle me, much like they do on the panel here. Uh, I'll, I'll be yeah, right. uh, uh, at uh, this, um, the cutting room uh, at the uh, uh, Give Them a Revolution uh, live show with uh, Jason Miles of Give Them a uh, This is Revolution. Uh, ben Burgess gives them an argument. Uh, and Sam Cedar, uh, fucking Sam Cedar from, from uh, the Majority Report. Uh, so from that very... one stream with Steven Crowder. That's Sam. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, and uh, mm -hmm. Dave Griscom and, and Matt Leck from uh, uh, Left Reckoning. Don't want to oh, forget yeah, them. And, and yeah, those guys. And there's, there's going to be more people. It's it's going to be awesome. Um, uh, I, I can't I can't wait. It's going to be wild. I, I don't know what I'm doing there. Uh, why, anybody why I ever, anybody I've ever worked for? It's just going to you know all yeah. in one all in one place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Andy in the middle is talking about Stargate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I'm going to work Stargate into it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but he's got, so, so you, you got a little time to figure it out, so that's the important. You'll thing. find a way. Yeah, there's there's advanced tickets and stuff for that, right? And people can find it. Yeah, yeah. If you go to uh, Ticketmaster, you can find it. Just you know, type in "Give Them a Revolution" and uh, comes right up. You see my art, so so you know it's the right one. Who doesn't love Ticketmaster? You know? <laughs> yeah, like to welcome our new sponsor, Ticketmaster. The People's <laughs> Champion. Exactly. The proletariat. Yeah, well, you can get you can get give them a revolution tickets. You cannot get Taylor Swift tickets, but you know it is what it is. Yeah. Well, you know what can you do? Apparently not. Get Taylor Swift tickets. <laughs> I'm or, or get another nope. ticket vendor. Apparently that's uh, no. It's like uh, hey, I'm not charging that far. But, but but if you do want to uh, support a project that that actually is uh, helping some good people, um, Jerudi issue two is uh, available presale. Uh, we're coming up the last week on that, and uh, you can still get my cover and the poster I did for issue one. But the issue one that I did the cover for sold out. So, so, but you can get a poster. Uh, very good, very good. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> He's already been banned. He hasn't even logged in yet. They just preemptively banned him. Yeah. Not on Truth Social, though. That one. Is, I'm just gonna keep making Truth Social jokes because yeah. <laughs> I'm Trump's favorite Truth Socialer. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, he reads truth to you all the time. That's this why guy, I Forrest Flacco. They call him Forrest Flacco. <laughs> the crispy chimp, folks. <laughs> Yo, I don't even want to know what chimps fucking, you know, what, what chimps taste like. But uh, we didn't even talk about that. We didn't even talk about we that. We didn't part even of the movie. talk yeah. about Dr. Livingston having those nope vibes. Dr. Livingston, yeah. I presume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, 
Final thoughts over here. If anyone wants to bring up the crispy chimp, <laughs> was that Andy? Did, did, did you get? Did you get done with those? Did, was that? I think. I think I did. I think we've we've reached the end. <laughs> he uh, he blacked out, so he doesn't remember. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, Peanut but, uh, butter milk stouts are just. Uh, it's like forty percent alcohol. With Jared and go this way. Uh, you know, final final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, it's. I mean, it was. Yeah, um, it's just a great double feature with City Austral, and it's like a great introduction to just like just movies with that kind of vibe. Like it's it's great to see when you're like twelve and just yeah. opening yourself opening yourself up to like weird shit. It's yeah. such a different vibe than like Amelie, though, which is kind of funny. So oh, you think you think it's got a different vibe? <laughs> but the way that it hits differently than Amelie is exactly my. If you if I had to talk about like what is my aesthetic for wanting and making films, it'd be like that little bit in which it is more horror and more dark. Yeah. I like that better. <laughs> yeah. Go morbid humor. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Katie, uh, you know, the final final thoughts on uh, on this or about chimps yeah. or about uh, you know about any of that. <laughs> I I do the. I do want to say uh, about City of Lost Children, I, I don't know if you guys know that like Ron Perlman doesn't speak French. That's all just learned oh, really? phonetically. That's just Whoa. him reciting all the yeah. lines phonetically. And I just want to have a moment of being like, damn, Ron Perlman. Respect. Yeah. Good job. All right. Yeah. Respect. Uh, but my final thought, I guess, would be a question for everyone. Because when I finished watching this movie, the first thing I thought was, is that a happy ending? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy, is it a happy is gonna get? I mean, like, yeah. it, or is it like Snowpiercer, where we're like these people have survived, which was what we wanted for the situation. We want to see the protagonist survive, but like, and there's a polar bear, an inevitable death. Like they're not dead yet. Well, but I mean, but it also seems like the sky is clearing up a little bit. The kids are sitting on the roof. Like it seems like maybe things are getting are, are lightening up, and maybe one day there will be, you know, new corn. There's a palpable removal of the fog in that scene, but like, yeah. So are we? Like, is this one of those movies that divides us? Are you going to believe that the top stops, or do you believe that the top keeps going? Like, well, I, th I think it it opens up the possibility of hope. Is what's important about this Make after being an absence of hope through um, very funny absence of hope, but an absence of hope for the lion's share of the uh, despotism for um, uh, uh, underneath the butcher's reign. Yeah, but I've been mean, like, they have no money and they're not eating people. Half the people are dead. Well, they're they're like hanging out. The... I mean, well, no, I guess they they flushed it the, out. But the chocolateites took all that. Mm -hmm. So like. How long they is their survival? The, they left with the troglodytes, and that I mean, you know, the end of it. I mean, who knows? You don't really know what. I mean, I'd like to yeah. think. I'd like to think the the ending is supposed to be like nature is healing a little bit, and like, yeah. But it could just be a good day. And I like it isn't spelled out though. I like I, I like yeah. that it's ambiguous because it. I mean, like, look, like, do you think you'd be better off if that dude was still butchering like the lodgers? You know, I mean, I guess. Well, will that just get filled with another person because people are. There's a new way. butcher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's there's a butcher that's like handsomer. <laughs> doesn't, he doesn't look like he doesn't look like Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah. Well, it's like a, a hermit crab shell. Like, will this now open place yeah, in society just get another crab in it? If, if we did not have a butcher, society would have to invent one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if I didn't have good resolution on my television, would I have noticed the clearing up of the smoke? <laughs> <laughs> 
or would I have just thought the movie ended? Mm, yeah, mm. I don't know. It is le, uh, le high definition. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's my final thought on the film. It's like I I don't I don't know if this is a happy ending. But uh, yeah. it but, that they're, they're they're ending it where it peaks. Mm-hmm. There you go. So cut cut away before it goes downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Hufu, you got any? Uh, Look, awesome, bizarre, surrealistic black comedy that is doesn't forget to actually be funny. Um, but you know, as much as this is a post-apocalyptic movie, it's in a, a echelon all its own, a very unique one at that. Well acted, well directed, cinematography and set design is uh, second to none. This holds up. This movie's great. Uh, and it's 30 it, years it's, old. It still holds up. Still holds up. Doesn't look dated. Doesn't look like an artifact of its time. It, it's just it exists in its own universe. And I, those are some of my favorite films. And I'm really glad that we included it. And uh, I, yeah, it, it's I, it's a great movie. And it's, it's amazing to me that like City of Lost Children came after this. Uh, and so many people that stand for City of Lost Children have no idea that Delicatessen exists. And I find it even funnier that people who love Amelie, which I also love, don't know that Delicatessen exists. And it's the same, the same uh, crew, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> Very true. Well, Amelie didn't eat anyone. That's the, that's the problem. There, they cut those scenes. They didn't test well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Andy, she's like, she's adorable, but why is she eating the, the boyfriend? Well, she's quirky. <laughs> <laughs> she's so quirky when she butchers them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They also cut it from The Shape of Water. It was originally with an Italian lead female, and she was just like, I got to fry this bitch up. I cannot fall in love just, with a just, seafood. Just I just her. eat a seven fishes. At the table looking stuffed and like dabbing her lips and then you like scroll back. I, I love like, how like, well oh my we God. went with fish. You taste just like that glue smelled. <laughs> Good callback. Good callback. Um, yeah. But uh, Andy, let's let's hear those uh, final lay, lay final thoughts. Lay final thoughts. You, you know. Um, oh I, yeah, I, this I, is probably the most French film that we ever have covered, <laughs> inclusive of uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Thank you. I mean, we, we oh, also yeah. we, we did a, a Godard episode, but you weren't on that one. Didn't really. exist. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Too bad though, didn't exist. More French than the Godard episode. So. <laughs> it's just and, more uh, French than most Godard. And <laughs> I, uh, I I found the same accordion music to, when I was looking for this that I did for the French. Like that was one of the first intros that I did uh, that I used different accordion music because I, I I switch it up. Exactly. But but I, I gotta say, uh, I I it drives me crazy a bit with the desaturated uh, films that that. Uh, came out uh you know after the 90s and it's so nice that you can you can play around with color and have a very limited color scheme because because it's mostly yellows reds and greens in this uh and so so the rare occasion you do have blue it, it really does stand out it hits you over the head which is why that last scene is is rather affecting um because you don't get those colors throughout the rest of the film um yeah. uh except, except for that one apartment with the uh the 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 crazy lady and her uh, rich husband, um, oh, yeah. But but uh, it also kind of sets them apart a little bit too, like, like it almost feels like they're like they're they're uh, separate from the rest of them because of that that color scheme, uh, which is which is really nice uh, uh, way to do it. I, I mean like uh, uh, and I always appreciate that whenever people think about color in films like this. Uh, and and uh, I, I know um, 
the nineties is kind of where the desaturation began with like, uh, the crow and, uh, stuff like that, but also like sometimes it works like in the crow. I think, I think that absolutely works. So I'm going to, I'm going to defend that one, but, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say like, you know, uh, but it's nice to see a post-apocalyptic movie with color. Yeah. And, and uh, it's interesting that he starts out, you know, Mark Carroll starts out thinking about that on that level. You know what I mean? Like, cause this is their first movie. Like it, sometimes you, you have someone that thinks like, Oh, well, you know, I didn't used to think about color, but now I do. It's like, in this case, it's like, well, I wanted to think about the sweater, like the, you know, the clothing first. Yeah. I went, the crow 102 minutes, 102 minutes. Not bad. Oh, yeah. Not bad. A lot that's of another film that's yeah. going to get remade, I think. And it's going to be at least three hours. Guarantee you. Yeah. yeah easily. <laughs> And the yeah. third act will suck, like all new movies. <laughs> but Bill Skarsgård's a good casting, better than Jason Momoa, which, you know. It's, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I have hope for that because I do like you. I, I really enjoyed the original. Although I didn't enjoy some of the stuff that they added, like the character's name is not from the original book. Isn't that like Edward DeRaven? Oh, Eric In Drake. the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I, don't, I it's been so long since I've read the comic. Uh, yeah. To be honest with you. Um, all right, stay tuned for the next episode of the Crowcast so we break it down to all the important topics. <laughs> Sorry. Right, well, we are Sorry. going to Sorry. be back Sorry. on Friday with, uh, you know, we're talking about 12 Monkeys over here. 12 Monkeys over there. <laughs> Go over there. That, uh, <laughs> well, with an Australian. <laughs> yeah, with with an Australian. Um, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but uh, I, I'm hungry after doing this, so I'm going to go eat some food. <laughs>